The Old Testament reading comes from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will, regret, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all men might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning. I am joining you from my house today because my family has been quarantining this week after our youngest son Cooper was exposed to COVID at his preschool last Friday. And so fortunately, no one in my family is showing any symptoms, and we're hopeful that Cooper did not, in fact, bring home the virus. But until we know for sure we are being safe, we are following the CDC protocols. And so from this safe distance, I'm glad to be able to join you all for worship this morning. So would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Father, we do pray that you would meet us this morning and in the remainder of this Advent season, 
Would you be near to us? And as we open your scriptures, would you uh, stir our hearts and our minds to love you, uh, to hear your voice, to be challenged where we need to be challenged, to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged. And would you take this time and be with us and bless us and use this for your good purposes in our lives. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we all know uh, what it feels like to long for justice. Um, not all in the same way, of course. Uh, those of you who have suffered grave injustices or who have lived your whole lives under the burden of systemic injustice that puts you always at risk, know the ache of that longing in uniquely personal ways that those of us who live with relative privilege can only come to know about secondhand uh, by way of listening to your stories. I know my own experience of longing for justice isn't the same uh, as that of a victim of a violent crime whose attacker was never caught, or say, uh, the convicted inmate doing time for a crime she didn't commit, or the father who is having to have the talk with his young black son about how he's going to have to be extra careful every day of his life because no matter what he does, he's going to fit the description, so to speak, of someone the cops are looking for, and he's not going to get the same benefit of the doubt that his white peers are going to get. I don't know those particular heartbreaking experiences of injustice firsthand, though I know some of you do. Uh, but I know others, right? Some big and some small, and so do you. No matter who you are or where you're coming from, we all know that we live in a world that isn't as it ought to be, in which power is used not only to bless, but to exploit and to control. And we've all been on the receiving end of that in one way or another. We all know what it's like to be treated unfairly or taken advantage of or to get a raw deal. And we've known that really since we were toddlers at the playground and another kid came by and snatched the toy we were playing with, prompting us to wail, that's not fair to any adult who might step in and set things right, right? We had a toddler incident in my family around the distribution of candy canes this week that illustrated uh, that sense of justice that we get even at this at such a young age. But of course, as we grow up, we come to know experiences of injustice in much more painful and consequential ways as well. Then on the other hand, many of us have also come to know injustice from the other side of the equation, beginning to recognize our own complicity in unjust systems that exploit others and perpetuate inequity which can be overwhelming in its own right. I think that's what much of white America has been going through this year, as many of us have been ever so slowly, yet often quite anxiously, opening our eyes to see racial injustice and economic injustice that we had previously ignored or just been unaware of. So our longing for justice can take on many different looks, depending on where we're coming from and what we've experienced. And to be sure, on top of that, there are all, even all kinds of different views of what justice is in the first place. You know, is the just society the one which promotes the greatest good and the least harm for the greatest number of people? Is the just society that which imposes the fewest restrictions on individual liberties? Or is it that which promotes human actions that conform to moral virtue so that the greatest number will live and act as we ought to? 
Harvard Law professor Michael Sandel sees all three of these understandings of justice as prominent in our current public discourse, and each of the three emerging as primary over against the others within various subcultures and political movements today. And we really only have to think back as far as debates over where you should, whether you should wear a mask, right, or whether that should be mandatory to hear what these different notions of justice sound like in action. But as different as our experiences and even perhaps philosophies of justice may be, our longing for justice is actually something we all share as fellow human beings. Our sense of justice and our desire to belong in a world that's good and right and fair, that's just woven into the fabric of our humanity. Yet we experience the elusiveness of justice, and so we long for it. And that's actually what the Advent season is about, longing for the future God has promised and preparing ourselves for Christ, who will come again to bring the fullness of God's reign of justice and peace to bear upon the earth and on all humanity. Advent is about preparing ourselves for our King of justice, even as we wait within a world ravaged by injustice. As Fleming Rutledge has already reminded us this morning in our reflection quote, in a very real sense, the Christian community lives in Advent all the time. It can well be called the time between, because the people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ, incognito in the stable in Bethlehem, and his second coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and not yet that our faith requires, writes Rutledge. I think the scripture passages we just read from the prophet Isaiah and the Gospel of John can help us consider this morning how Jesus leads us into a way of longing for and pursuing justice that fits this now and not yet character of the so-called time between of which Fleming Rutledge writes. This time in which we live, this all the time Advent existence of the Christian church as we exist between Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. The prophet Isaiah in this passage gives us a portrait of the Lord as one who loves justice and who is committed to seeing his creation reflect the kind of justice that he loves. It's really a grand vision, right? Peace, restoration, and wholeness that God is going to bring upon his people and ultimately upon all the earth through his anointed one, this one on whom his spirit rests. It's a vision of what's called Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor when the debts are canceled and lost property is restored and reparations are made and indentured servants are freed and the whole broken system basically gets this giant gracious reset from the abundance of God's mercy. And this vision, I mean, it kind of seems impossible, doesn't it? as impossible in many ways as some of the other prophetic depictions that we get of God's promised future, like the lion lying down with the lamb that we read about every advent, or the vision of every tear being wiped away. It feels impossible, like it's something from another world. Yet interestingly, this very passage from Isaiah 61 is what Jesus reads in the synagogue and then shockingly declares, it is fulfilled in your hearing. Those who are at the margins, who lack power, who mourn, 
who have been silenced and overlooked, these people will be delivered and given justice, not by their own uprising and taking for themselves by force what they have been denied, but by God's acting on their behalf, in God's timing, by God's means. And Jesus stands up and says, God's timing is now, and I am the one in whom he has come to act. This is the vision of hope that Isaiah cast for the people of Israel in their own moment of waiting. And this is the vision that Jesus claims as the blueprint of his own mission that would eventually lead him to the cross and ultimately to resurrection life. It's the kingdom of justice that Jesus has come to establish on earth. This kingdom of impossibly generous justice and love a new creation even. And it's the fullness of that kingdom that we wait for expectantly and prayerfully and even actively until Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And that waiting, that active waiting, that expectant waiting is what we emphasize every year at Advent. In our gospel reading this morning, we see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus and bearing humble witness to Jesus as the greater one who would come after him. John shows us that Jesus is not only the one on whom the Spirit of the Lord rests, as we see in Isaiah, but Jesus is also the one who will baptize God's people with that same Spirit of the Anointed One. You know, part of what I think that it means for us to allow our Advent hope in Christ to shape our longing for justice is to take seriously the significance of Jesus' giving us his spirit. The spirit of new creation lives in and among us now, empowering us to prepare ourselves, even now, for the future God has promised. In their book, The Justice Calling, Bethany Huang and Kristen Didi Johnson describe the Christian calling to pursue justice as a calling to live not as heroes, but as saints. Now, saints, that's not exactly a word many of us would apply to ourselves every day, uh, but it is an important word because in the scriptures, the saints, they're not extra special people who belong in a sort of hall of fame for faithful Christians. The saints are all the members of the body of Christ, all who have been sanctified or sanctified, if you will, by receiving God's spirit. And so to live as saints is simply to live according to who we are in Christ. The spirit that rested upon Jesus, that anointed him to be the Messiah, is the same spirit that lives in and among us as the church. And to live as saints is to live in union with Jesus, doing the kinds of things that Jesus did, by the same power that Jesus did them, because that's the power Jesus has given us in his spirit. And when we look at the life of Jesus, and we seek to imitate him in our own longing for justice, what do we see? Well, the first thing is I think we see Jesus actually affirms our longing for justice. God does not intend the injustices that plague this world to persist. In fact, he's, he's committed to seeing that they don't. God is committed to dismantling the systems that choke out life and oppress his beloved. And Jesus, Jesus says as much in his opening sermon where he preaches straight out of this vision from Isaiah here. The second thing I think we see in Jesus' life is that Jesus actually gives us a robust hope for justice in this world that is neither naive nor cynical. You know, it can be easy, I think, as we think about the reality of injustice in the world, 
to become cynical. It can also be, I think, easy uh, to prefer to turn a blind eye, at least those who have relative privilege uh, and have the opportunity to opt out of thinking about injustice, will often take a more naive approach and escape a robust hope that way. But Jesus isn't blind to all the real injustice that makes us cynical and wonder whether justice is even possible. Nor does he allow the overwhelming obstacles of justice to justice to stand in his way of seeking God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, no, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this. And then what we see as he moves forward in faith and courage and love as God's anointed one in the spirit is that he does so lamenting injustice, lamenting the injustice he has come to undo. Think about that. Jesus, the bearer of God's justice, achieves it by being delivered into the unjust hands of lawless men. And Jesus, the one who comes bearing the hope of God's future, this hope that is as described as where every tear shall be wiped away, Jesus carries that mantle as the man of sorrows who weeps over Jerusalem. And it is his lamenting, longing, persistent love that saves the world. Thirdly, I think what we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus shows us what it looks like not just to desire justice, but to do it. If you remember the prophet Micah, um, Micah in chapter 6, what does God desire of his people but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. This is the way that Jesus lived, and this is what we see, uh, this is what Jesus' spirit, the spirit of God, calls us to do and empowers us to do. To be swept up by the spirit is to be swept up into this movement of God, this movement of God's kingdom, and to let both the ends and the means of God's kingdom mission shape the way that we long for and pursue justice in our own lives. The way we pursue justice is just as important as the justice we pursue. Doing justice with whatever power we have in all the spheres where we have influence is how we pursue justice. Refusing to exploit others for our own gain and instead leveraging the power and the privilege we may have for the gain of not just ourselves but the whole community, especially those who lack relative power themselves. This is the way of Jesus that we see in his own life, as he did not count his own equality with God something to be exploited for himself, but he emptied himself of that and became a servant for our sake, became obedient even unto death. This is the way of the cross. It's the way of love. It's ultimately the way of justice, and it is the way of Jesus. And the spirit that was on him is in us and draws us into that movement. I was inspired recently by an article that ran in the New York Times a few weeks ago that I really think captures beautifully uh, the spirit of how humility and love pave the way in the pursuit of justice. Maybe you saw it. The article is called, What If Instead of Calling People Out, We Called Them In? Featuring Professor Loretta Ross and her strategic effort to challenge the call-out culture or the cancel culture, specifically uh, in her case on the campus of Smith College, where she's a visiting professor. Challenging the call-out culture by instead 
calling people in generously, patiently, and persistently calling them in to respectful but uncomfortable conversations. Professor Ross, whose career of more than four decades has been largely oriented toward the pursuit of justice, describes her own work of calling in that has involved, as a black woman herself, befriending members of the KKK and helping them to change. And she references as a source of her own inspiration the words of her former mentor, uh, the Reverend C.T. Vivian, who said, when you ask people to give up hate, you have to be there for them when they do. When you ask people to give up hate, you have to be there for them when they do. Isn't that just a stunningly gracious and beautiful way to sum up what it looks like to be someone who does justice, who loves mercy, and in the case of C.T. Vivian, walks humbly with God? And isn't that just how God loves us when you think about it? God loves us first so that we may love him. And when we turn back to God, what do we, what do we find? He's, he's there for us when we do. He's come after us. He pursues us in love. He loves us first so that we may love him. And Jesus says to us, he says to his followers, as I have loved you, so love one another. This Advent, as you prepare yourself for Jesus, as I prepare myself for Jesus, as we seek together in this scattered moment of our church's life to somehow be growing as a community um, that fits God's vision for justice in this world. I want us to think about what are the conversations that we need to be called into? What are the conversations you need to be called into, that I need to be called into? And who do you need to call in? And what does it look like to do that with the persistence, the love, the mercy, the compassion, and the patience? that Jesus extends to us and calls us to extend to one another. As we long for justice this Advent, will we let God's vision for it shape us? Will we let God's vision shape what we long for? Will we let the means by which God brings his justice to bear upon the earth, the means of self-sacrificial love, the way of the cross, will we, will we let those become that way become the way that we seek to strive, to long, and to seek justice in our own spheres of influence in the world. The Spirit of the Lord that was upon Jesus is upon you and is upon us and calls us and empowers us to seek the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As I have loved you, so love one another, says the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.